Hello and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick and I'm your host. And on today's episode, Cheech from Crust Bikes is here. And uh, we had a great chat, but don't just take my word for it. She said it was good too. And I believed her. But she made a post on Instagram recently about how she's been working a lot and not riding her bike as much as she'd like. And uh, she's got some plans to change that. And uh, her post really uh, struck a chord with me. I could really uh, relate uh, to what she was going through, um, how much they've sacrificed over there at Crust to uh, build that company. And uh, yeah, I really wanted to bring her on to talk about it. So we had a great time. We talked about bikes. We talked about uh, some big plans and goals that she has for herself. And yeah, talked a lot about crust bikes too, if you can believe it. But um, I just happened to get a crust bike recently. I got a crust evasion and uh, it's kind of, it's unrelated to this interview. It's kind of just happenstance, but as a new crust owner, it was especially fun to get to talk to her and, uh, get a chance to ask her some questions. And uh, at one point, she even called Matt and brought him into the conversation to answer a couple of the technical questions that I had. Super technical. Anyway, absolutely blast talking to her. We just got off the phone and I, I like her. She's cool. And I'm glad that she's part of the bike industry and I appreciate everything that they're doing over there at Crest Bikes and just uh, adding their flavor to the community. Before we get to today's episode, let's take a moment to thank everybody who made it possible, starting with our newest patrons. We had a few sign up this week, so thank you to Daniel Searson, Corey Eckelberger, and uh, we got Broken Spoke Santa Fe. I believe that's Mike Chapman, all the way up from Santa Fe. He um, just came down and raced the East Texas Showdown and uh, actually ran into him at the Monumental Loop when I was up there uh, last October. So uh, appreciate you signing up to support the show, Mike and Corey and Daniel. All right. Well, today's episode is also brought to us by Kuat Racks. One of the great things about Kuat is that they have racks for almost any budget or any need ranging from the Piston Pro X, they have the MV 2.0, the Sherpa 2.0, and the Transfer V2. Now, the Transfer V2 is their price point rack, but while it might be light on price, it is heavy on features. See what I did there? And now the Transfer V2 is more solid than ever. From the steel construction of the original to a new flat lock hitch cam for enhanced stability and tow, plus a semi-integrated cable lock for an upgrade in security. And uh, the best part, the new Transfer V2 has the modular configuration available so you can get a multi-rider rack at an everyone-friendly price. With the Transfer V2 modular configurations, you can carry anywhere from one bike up to four bikes. And plus, the Transfer V2 two-bike rack is RV approved, as long as it's mounted to a chassis-mounted hitch receiver. All the details on this great rack can be found at kuat.com. That's K-U-A-T dot com. And don't forget Kuat's awesome customer service. 
Should anything go wrong, Kuat has your rack and your back. Today's episode is also brought to us by Athletic Greens. I started using them because if you've noticed, food options have become increasingly faster and less healthy. Eating healthy these days can actually be kind of challenging. It can be a little bit expensive. It can be harder to find good and healthy options. And it can be harder to get the nutrients and the veggies that your body needs. So for me, I found that Athletic Greens is a great solution to help manage a healthy diet with One delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptions to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I take mine every morning in about 12 ounces of cold water. And it's a great way to start the day knowing that I gave my body something really good to get the engine going. Now, to make this easy, and we want to make it easy, if you'd like to try Athletic Greens, they are going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash bikes or death again. That is athleticgreens.com forward slash bikes or death to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate in daily nutritional insurance. All right, everybody, it's a good one. I'm glad you're here for it. I'm here for it. So let's get into it. But first, let's have Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. Ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. It seems like you're maybe more of the face of the company. If you look at your Instagram, the YouTube channel, uh, that kind of stuff. Like, are are you are you kind of comfortable? Is that a role that kind of comes naturally to you, or is that outside of your comfort zone? Uh, I'm getting used to it. It was. It's definitely weird at first, like making videos and stuff. Like, because I hate the sound of my own voice. Like, I I don't really like looking at myself like on camera. it it like really bothered me at first, but, um, people seem to enjoy it. And then I just get used to it. Like I try to like watch cause I edit all my own videos. So I, in the editing process, like I have to like hear my voice over and over and look at myself over and over. So I think I've just gotten used to like just seeing myself and hearing myself. So it's, um, it's actually made me kind of like myself a little bit more. So, That's good. Yeah. Do you think it, I mean, 
I don't know if this is as relatable to you, but with the podcast, like y'all, and or I say y'all, like you and Matt, your company, I feel like you do a good job of being authentic to who you are and representing yourself in an authentic way. I try to do the same thing, which is a little bit unique in, you know, media, quote unquote. But what I've found it is, is it allowed, like, now that, you know, I have a decent audience and stuff like that. It's like, I've kind of allowed myself the freedom to be myself. You know what I'm saying? I'm not constrained by having to like pretend to be this way or that way or whatever. You can just like let your conscience be your guide, you know, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, and I think that's something that's missing a lot with like things like podcasts and like, um, maybe you know, YouTube and just different like media outlets. I think, uh, so many people are trying to like portray a certain image. And I think like the everyday person just at the end of the day, maybe just wants to see themselves in someone. So I think it's really important to just be yourself because then that that kind of lets others be themselves too and see a little bit of themselves in you. And that's more attainable and approachable. And you, I feel like you just get a larger reach from that as well. Yeah, it's it's very relatable. I like you said the average person. I think I mean, we don't know each other, but I'm a I'm not a, a you know, professional cyclist or have any kind of notoriety of any sorts in the cycling industry and I approach the podcast from kind of like the average Joe, the weekend warrior, you know, I'm busy, I have two kids and I don't have time to maybe do all the things that I want to do, but I love the sport, you know, and I I think I've gained an audience because they're like, okay, yeah, that's relatable. You know, we talked to Leo Wilcox and she's a great inspiration, but you know, it's the, it's the mom and the dad or the people that are, you know, business owner or whatever that don't have the time that is probably more relatable to, you know, I don't know, a large percentage of the population, you know? Yeah, definitely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that was kind of the impetus for me reaching out to you was uh, a post that you made on social media. And again, we, we don't know each other. It's the first time we're getting a chance to ever really chat um, other than email and social media. But like, you know, you, uh, well, actually I have it here. I'll just read it real quick. Uh, okay. It says, um, if you know me, Cheech, you know that I've spent the better part of the past four years behind a computer doing my best to keep this little dream alive, often sacrificing sacrificing riding my bike and having a good time to put in work. Uh, And then you go on to talk about that your goals for this year, 2022 and 2023 are to get ready for the Paris Breast Paris and how you've started to train for that. And what really like I appreciate it about that and about you as, as a whole, I think is this genuine, this authenticity where, um, maybe people just like to post like their successes and the final, final progress, but you were really honest with the fact like, okay, for the last four years, I've, I've, you know, not been, I don't know, that's what we want to talk about, but what have you been sacrificing, uh, for this company, uh, you know, so to speak? Oh, yeah. Um, can you? I'm sorry. I'm like, can you hear me? Okay, someone's vacuuming. <laughs> and I just, I like, don't, I know that editing and stuff can be really hard. So I don't know if it's best to wait till this person finishes vacuuming next to me or if you can hear me okay and if this is going to be okay for you. Where are you? 
I actually living at my friend's parents' house in Orange County. Okay. So I'm just in my bedroom right now because I thought it would be the quietest place, but they're like, I think his mom is vacuuming. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Well, while we're uh, while we're waiting, uh, I was going to ask you. You're based out of Virginia, but you're currently in California, and you're about to be heading to Florida. I know. <laughs> so, are you? Is this like normal for you? Is this all part of work, or, or what are you doing? <laughs> it has been normal for like the past year, actually, for me to be moving around a lot, um, because I just, especially now with PBP, and you have to do all these kind of registered rides. Um, to qualify to even do PVP. And so for me, I'm really lucky that I can work just from my computer and from anywhere. And because I'm just not really a strong rider, I'm still very early on. And I would say my riding career um, that I can go to different places, like check out the routes. And I'm trying to do the easiest brevets now to kind of just knock them out. So that's why I'm here in California. And then I'll be going to Florida because it's so flat there. So I'm going to try and knock out a couple of other <laughs> ones. And then um, I'll be going back to New Jersey to visit my parents and do some more brevets in um, Pennsylvania. So, yeah. So I there's going to be a lot of traveling for me just because of these brevets and knowing that I'm not a strong rider, so I'm just going to give myself as much of a advantage as I can. Yeah, but that really kind of showcases um, the level of commitment that you've made and that you also have to the commitment that you've made, that you're yeah. willing to do all this. Um, it's not going to come easy. You know, it's going to take a lot of work on your part. And again, you kind of put out there and I really, I really respect that. I like that you're taking people along for the journey and you're like, yeah, I own this badass company, but you know what? I haven't been able to ride my bike. So I'm kind of starting from zero and you know, let's go, you know? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's been like, it was very spontaneous because I didn't know what PBP even was until last November. And uh, Matt and a friend of ours were talking about it during dinner. And I was just like, what? What is that? What are you guys talking about? And they explained to me what it was like the 1200K ride in Paris. Uh, you got to do it in 90 hours. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. I'll, I'll do it with you guys. And Matt was just like, no, no, no. Like, this isn't something you're just going to try and do. Like if you're going to do it, you have to start now and you have like, you need to do this, this and that. And I was like, the more I learned about it and the more Matt was like, Matt kind of shows like a reflection of who I am. Cause he knows me so well. And he kind of voices and repeats all the insecurities that I have about myself, like not in a bad way, but in a good way so that I can actually hear them and do something about it. So the fact that he kept voicing over, like, you have to be dedicated to this. This is something that's not going to be easy. Like it's going to be a struggle. It just made me want to do it more. Yeah. And so um, we have a really good friend who is been in randoneering for a really long time. And he's kind of been my mentor as to like what I need to do to qualify and what rides or, you know, what permanents are good. And 
So yeah, I've just, I dove in like super fast and it's been really nice to have a goal other than work. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is exactly what I would like to uh, get into, but um, I have a tendency to just like start talking and I forget to introduce my guest. And so before we get too far down the uh, the rabbit hole. Actually, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, who are you? And this is kind of a big question, but what would you say that you do for a living? For people who don't know who the great Cheech is. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Cheech. Uh, my real name is actually um, Angelica Casaverde. And I am the co-owner of Crust Bikes, which is an online brand. I'm uh, I'm double duty right now. <laughs> uh, what's your name? Sorry, I like kids. <laughs> oh, sorry, she can't hear you. Oh, okay, uh, she can't hear you. Okay. Her name. Um, her name is Sloan. Oh, that's such a nice name. I love that name. Hi. She loves your name. <laughs> this is Cheech, also known as Angelica. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's my real name. My birth name. <laughs> she said, yeah. She said, yeah. Yeah, yeah you right. can hear yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, Minecraft was supposed to be babysitting her, but uh, yeah, I guess Minecraft got boring, huh? <laughs> and no one just wanted to hang out with you. Oh, well, that's oh, a good reason. that's so sweet. Yeah, you should want to hang <laughs> she's out a with your dad. Oh. She's my little. She's my little adventure buddy, man. She's like... Uh, I have two daughters, so I have a 12-year-old as well. And she also is pretty adventurous. We go bikepacking with them and stuff. But she's like my very adventurous one, the one that just comes by it like naturally, who uh, just loves nature and dirt and all the things, you know. So That's so cool. That's really cool that your 12-year-old also goes like bikepacking and stuff with you. We're actually planning a uh, kid-packing jamboree this, this June so, like, Bikes for Death is hot on the, I don't know, whatever, hot on the trail, getting ready for that. But it, it'll be the first one where we're going to do, um, yeah, like, take families bikepacking and, like, have, like, a heavy educational component to it. And um, we'll have, like, SAG vehicles and equipment. And uh, we have, like, an outdoor education person coming in, like, leading some structured, like, learning activities in the outdoors. So, anyway, wow. it's a... Pretty, You're pretty excited busy. about it. You are so busy, huh? That's like uh, we a, both are. That's why I wanted to talk to big, you. <laughs> that's a big thing. Oh God, you know, so many people are doing such cool things and like creating more events in like different places, which I think is great because it's like it's more accessible in different parts of the country now. But wow, the amount of work that goes into like planning an event, just like seeing my friends do it. It's crazy. Wow. It's wild. We just got done. I, I did my uh, another race. I hosted it. Um, it's uh, the East Texas Showdown. So mm-hmm. we just wrapped that up two weeks ago. And then it's like, okay, start. We got to like get ready for this next one. <laughs> yeah, that is so wild. Like back-to-back events. Like I'm still drained from Mid-South. Like and I, was, <laughs> I didn't even throw that event. I was just managing a bunch of wild ones, you know? <laughs> yeah. Luckily, uh, it's not as big as Mid-South. But yeah. anyway... Back to you. So crust is a you. Uh, we our friend walked in uh, when you were talking <laughs> about crust was is like an online uh, bike shop, uh, yeah, etc. It's a bike brand. So Matt founded it uh, 
back, I would say in 2015, a year before we met. And um, he's he designs all the bicycles, um, all the frames and has them produced in Taiwan. A few of them are made by our friend Darren in the U.S., Um, But also we've expanded the site to kind of just carry brands that we like. And there are a lot of smaller brands like our friends Dark Realm and Hungry Bags from Australia. Now we're even selling like Rivendale and Open. That's cool. So it's just kind of like it's become a little online store that carries everything that we like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like a reflection of y'all in many ways, it seems like. So. That kind of leads into my next question. And and I didn't know that. Um, so Matt was, I, I thought y'all started it together, but you are one half of Crust Bikes. Is that right? So you yeah. and Matt are the, are the two co-owners. Very nice. Yeah. And uh, so, so going back to the beginning in 2015, what was Matt like trying to fill a void in the cycling industry? Do you know, like what, what was the goal there in the beginning? Yeah, Matt. You know, Matt has a really, really interesting story. He would be really great to interview as well. Cause he, love to. he's um he's nine years older than I am and he's done a lot in his life. Uh he grew up riding BMX um and at the age of 18 just started traveling all around the world solely to just ride BMX at different like skate parks and stuff. Um and he started getting into like bigger bicycles and bike touring actually when he was in Mexico city and he had like a bunch of his stuff, like money stolen and all his stuff stolen. And he had his mom wire him like a little bit of money, which he was able to buy a bicycle with and like a blanket and some food. So he rode his bike from Mexico city to our friend's house in Austin, Texas um, cause he just didn't have anything. And he was like, okay, who is the closest physical friend I have who can help me out in this situation? And so that was his first bike tour. It was kind of out of like necessity cause he needed to get the hell out of Mexico. It wasn't so much a tour as, uh, he was literally using the bike as a vehicle of necessity, exactly. which is cool, right? Yeah. It's like, It's like, oh, and people do this for fun, too? Oh. (laughs) Yeah, and he did have a great time because he tells me that's really when he fell in love with bike touring. He was like, wow, like, if you made this more comfortable, like, this could actually be fun, you know? And so that's when his relationship with bike touring really happened. And from there, he uh, went to Nepal and rode around, like, the base of the Himalayas. And he was on a Surly at that time. And that's when like the gear started shifting for him in his head about how can I make like the ultimate like bike touring frame for like this kind of landscape, like going through the mountains. And he says that when he got back to his hostel in Nepal from his little eye touch, he started contacting factories in Taiwan to produce a sample frame for the evasion. And then the evasion was born. And the next, the following year I met him and he had, he already had that evasion sample when I met him. And I remember we were both living at our mutual friend's house and we were both like sending out living the fucking dream patches on that, on their porch, like, 
I was like handwriting like everyone's address and thank you notes. And he had also like uh, developed like or put out the limpidic stem, which is, you know, kind of like a variation of Charlie Cunningham's uh, stem that he has done. And all the profits for that stem went to Charlie and his wife, Jackie Phelan. And I remember Matt would like package the those limptic stems like cover them in condoms and like give them away with <laughs> condoms and stuff like he you know we were just like like when I think back on that year that was 2016 we were just like goofing around you know doing that stuff together I didn't even I didn't know anything about bikes I was not into bicycles at all I just knew that I had a really big crush on this guy and he he needed my help doing like random things like shipping and writing addresses or like help on decals for frames because my background is in design so so yeah I just was from 2016 until now I've just been kind of like that helping hand for whatever he needs like I'll either find a way to make it happen or I'll do it myself yeah, that's sick. I was curious who did y'all's design work uh, because obviously I think y'all are, I don't know, there, it's a cool vibe, right? It's like you got a good product and then you've got a good, uh, you know, design presence too. And Thank it's you. it's that combination that, you know, make, makes it like a hit, you know? There's a lot of like, I don't know. I've seen some, Never mind. We won't bash any bikes, but y'all's bikes are good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, is, uh, is, is the design just completely your own? Do you, do you, yeah. I mean, has that been just you the whole time? Do y'all collaborate on that? Oh, so I like to think that Matt and I have really good taste, uh, and we have very similar taste. So, um, Actually, the initial, like the crust logo that you see, um, our friend from Australia designed that for Matt. So that was before me, I came in. Um, and then after that, uh, like the decals for the lightning bolt, like I did those, the artwork for the he head two badge on that. I did that too. Uh, there were some t-shirts at the beginning that I did as well. But now as like the business is growing, um, I have less time to actually do the artwork myself. Like I've done a couple of things like hats and um, other t-shirts and water bottles. But uh, now more than anything, I just delegate and try to find other artists who want to collaborate with us. Um, and my direction for Crust now is tr I'm trying to build like a more of a YouTube presence and a a TikTok presence <laughs> and like, just like, I just want to like, you know, uh, further the reach on our media. Uh, TikTok, huh? Does everybody, yeah. I, people keep telling me I have to do TikTok. I'm like, do I, do I really have to do TikTok? I don't want to do TikTok. Well, you know, I think it's, I was thinking about this earlier for me, Instagram is always going to be my main source of social media. Uh, because I've had it since I was like 21. And so that's like over a decade actually now with uh, Instagram. And that's how I find like cool brands and how I shop. And, you know, it really dictates a lot of like my consumer life. Um, but I think for the next generation, it is TikTok. And as a brand and a business, I want longevity for Crust. Like I want 
it to be like generations of crust, you know, like, cause we have, we have customers who are like, who are dads and they'll say like, yeah, I really like want this bike because like, I want this, I want this to be for my daughter. Like when she turns 16, like I want a bike that's like gonna, you know, stand the test of time. And um, I want that for crust, you know, I want to see like the first version of romancers, like, 20 years from now, like I want to see someone's kid on that, you know? And so for me to do that, I think I need to be as relevant as possible. And I think I have, I think I, I just like have the knowledge and like the awareness of that. So that is my no, goal. That's probably now. smart. I'm just an old fuddy duddy. And, uh, <laughs> well, and it's, I, I have me and I have, uh, Emily that, that helps me, uh, a friend of mine. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a lot. It's, uh, it's growing a business, which I'm sure you can, uh, attest to is, is challenging. And it's like, you're just playing whack-a-mole a lot of the time. It feels like, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a great way to describe it. Yes. <laughs> Cause when you're sm- <laughs> when you're only like so many people, and you have so many tasks because like owning a business is like you you have to put out several fires a day is what I feel like. And that's where that whack-a-mole thing is like, OK, I got that done. Oh, fuck, there's <laughs> the other thing that I have to get done. And then all of a sudden the day is gone and you do it again the next day. It's it really, you know, not to toot my own horn, but it really is a good analogy of it's like an endless whack-a-mole. You know, it's it's not you don't ever finish the game. It feels like it's just mm. like <laughs> it's so true. That is. Oh, my God. You're putting it into perfect words the game is never over like yeah you're yeah you might going. like be ahead and you might be getting a lot of those fuckers but they're always popping up you know yeah yeah because sometimes there's like i don't know yeah anyway that is a pretty i might have to use that one again uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is yeah. it is uh it is challenging and i and it's just like okay well where do you focus your time and attention now it sounds like y'all have grown to uh, some employees and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I was curious, like how many how many people do y'all have employed at Crust? So yeah, for a long time it was just me and Matt, and then in 2020 we moved to Richmond, Virginia. We were originally in New Jersey, and when we moved to Virginia, we were really lucky to find uh, Garrett and he stepped in and did a lot of the things that I was doing, which was like shipping and product photos. And, um, but he was also, he's also a bike mechanic. So he was also doing builds. And, um, from there we really needed someone to kind of manage our website. And that's where our friend JD Jesus stepped in. So he works (laughs) from, um, home and he, he's like our IT guy who, Cause he's just so much better at it. Like things that I could do in like hours or the whole day, he can figure out in like 30 minutes or an hour, you know? So, and then we also have um, our friend Andrew who comes in once a week to help with shipping. And then we also just hired our friend Ryan who is uh, filming and doing a lot of like the YouTube stuff as, as well and like social media. And we have a blog called Drop Chain that we launched a couple months ago. So he's helping with that. So we have a lot of like part-time people and friends. Um, But the core, I would say, is just like myself, Matt, Garrett, and JD. So four of us. 
Yeah. Yeah. Really small. Very small. Yeah. 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 I, uh, yeah, that's, that's impressive. I mean, to, to just in my imagination, what I think y'all output and, you know, it seems like, I mean, not only like the products, but you have to like maintain the website. You've got to do the TikTok. You got to do the YouTube. You've got to do the blog. Like, it's just, it's a lot of, you got to answer all the emails, you know, you got to keep up with all your manufacturers, you know, it's like that I'm just picturing like there's a lot, y'all are outputting a lot of stuff and there's really a a pretty small core group of y'all, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. And I think we're, we're coming to a point where um, we're realizing that it's a lot and we don't want anybody to burn out, you know, cause we've felt the burnout personally and I don't want that for anybody that works for us. And um, so we're we're trying to like, you know, just we don't want to grow too fast anymore. And that's been the hardest thing, actually, is like we've really kept the brakes on on crust because we don't want to make the mistake of growing so big so fast. And then ultimately us and the people that work for us paying for it, like, I don't want that at all. I rather, I rather just um, keep it pretty low key for for the foreseeable future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've there. There's an analogy I use. I've I've been an entrepreneur my entire life, and so I've kind of been in the business world in one way or another. But there's this uh, I, people used to like come in and always try to sell me something like you need an ad in the telephone book. I swear to God, they used to come and try to sell me telephone ads. I'm like, who the hell buys these? <laughs> anyway, but I'm like, you know, I, I told him, I'm like, I am going to get very, very good at handling the business that I have and the customers that I have and maintain this level really well, because I feel like to bring on more customers, all you're doing is like, you're bringing on more, but you're losing some of your customers out the back end because you're not taking care of your business well enough. So like, it's just, it's, it's, it's like, you're just turning your wheels, you know, almost. Yes. I, yeah, I've definitely heard that before. And I don't know where, where it's like more beneficial as a business to keep your current customers happy and keep them coming back rather than trying to like reach new customers. And yeah, I think that's, I, I think, think the customer retention, a customer, the statistic that I heard, I've read so many business books, but uh, a customer that receives excellent customer service has a will will uh, have a ninety seven percent chance of returning to do business with you again. Uh, versus a customer that has a good experience has a 90% chance and it goes down from there. But what I always always tell my employees is like you're if you don't give everybody an excellent uh, customer experience, you're essentially asking 7% of the people to walk in the door to never come back again. You know? Wow. I love that. Yeah. But so, yeah, anyway, I'm all about, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, business management. I can kind of geek out on that kind of stuff to be honest with you, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, we real... don't, we, yeah, it would be so fun to talk to you about that because me and Matt, like don't know anything about that. So, <laughs> like we did not study business. Like we are just doing this. So like from instinct and like, right. Just like our guts which is kind of scary <laughs> because honestly, a lot of the time I feel like I'm still a kid. And then when it's time for me to like do like 
monthly sales tax or like doing the books or whatever. (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm just a kid. Like, why is this my job? You know, but you have no one to blame but yourself, right? I know. (laughs) I'm just like, how did I get myself into this? I've almost quit bikes or death like so many times, not because I don't love it, but because of the demand it puts on my finances, my time, my mental Mm -hmm. health, my physical health. Like it's just gotten to the point where I've pushed it to the limit so many times. I've, I've almost like, I don't know if I can keep, you know, putting in anymore. I'm curious if you'd be, uh, you know, this transition that you're making to try to focus on, on writing more and, and maybe doing a little bit less work, does that extend at all? to like your, your mental health. Have, Have you been Or is it just about like a work-life balance that you're trying to maintain? I think a lot about the work-life balance and beyond just like work and then personal life, which is like the pleasure of riding my bike, but then also like being a good wife and like a good daughter and all these things. And I don't think there's ever going to be a good balance. I think that something at any time is always going to be suffering. Um, And I just have to come to grips with that and be okay with whatever is suffering at that moment that I can just like let go of that and enjoy the other thing. So, um, yeah, I think my mental health right now, although like I'm so happy to be on a bike a lot of the time and I, I'm really lucky to be in California where there's beautiful weather right now. And I, just on Sunday, I got to climb this beautiful mountain and it was like so emotionally like moving and it could have been cause I was also high, but like <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Uh, but then, <laughs> but then, you know, at the end of a long day like that, cause I was riding all day on Sunday from 7 a.m. to like 9 p.m. And but then Monday, that reality hits again, like, wow, you know, I neglected work all day on Sunday and now I have to come back to this. But then I worked all day Monday and that was great because I got through all this work. So I felt really good again. And I was like, oh, damn, I really should ride again. So it's just like this roller coaster it's just a roller coaster of emotions all the time. Yeah. It's a balancing act. It really is a balancing act of like, but I think that's, I think that's the goal is, is, um, is identifying, okay, I need to go ride my bike. I need to do this. I can't only work, you know, X, however many millions of hours you work seven days a week. I mean, that's the thing about being your own boss is like, it never goes away. You can turn on the computer at any second. You can open up Instagram. You can be answering DMs. Like there is no shutoff switch, right? Like you just have to make decisions about, okay, what am I going to prioritize right now? And I think you hit on good ones like relationships, your family, your personal like happiness, which it sounds like comes through riding bikes and, uh, and then work. And yeah, it probably isn't a, a perfect balance, but it's like maybe just identifying the mole that you need to hit. And it's not always work related. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like on that day too, cause like how you talked about like the whack-a-mole thing and like putting out fires every day, like I can wake up like I have a planner, like I like to write everything out. I'm just like a visual person like that. I like making lists and crossing things out and I'll make my list for like the week of things that I want to get done. And so I'll wake up like whatever morning I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this done, but that fire can come, you know, like whatever fire it is that you need to put out. 
and it'll take up your whole day, you know, and then everything that you wanted to do, all the expectations are just gone, you know, and sometimes that can really put um, a damper on you and like it can make me like really overwhelmed and sad. So I've had to really learn how to let go of expectations of what my days are going to look like, what my week's going to look like, and just really be as easy and gentle with myself as possible about what I can get done, you know, because it's not my fault if something comes up and I need to take care of it and it takes me all day. I found it hard to sometimes like, I'm sure you have, well, I know you have a lot of demands on your time, but like, I think it's worth talking about this kind of stuff because sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm getting messages all the time and I don't think people like understand like how limited my my time is. And it's like, I'm not an asshole. I'm not, you know, but I feel like yeah. does some of that pressure come from like external, like people don't really understand like what y'all are doing or how hard it is. Yeah, I feel really bad like sometimes because we get a lot of emails um, from people who like have really great ideas and maybe want to collaborate on like, an event or like, you know, this or that, or we get DMs and, and I get DMs from like, not only crust, but then like the clothing company that is like under crust, which is Casa Verde. And, you know, and on top of that, like, I have like my mom who's like, when are you going to call me again? And then like Matt and I are not like physically with each other right now. So like, you know, um, talking to him all the time and then talking to the employees and it's just like there's so I I feel like so much is coming in all the time and I feel so bad when I can't get to everyone and I just hope that they understand that I feel overwhelmed a lot of the time because I think I'm not alone in that when I talk to a lot of my friends who don't even own businesses I think it's just we are so in communication with each other now because we have Instagram, we have text messaging, phone calls, FaceTime. We can be in constant communication with each other. And I think that that makes things harder, actually, for a oh, lot yeah. of people. Yeah, well, there people are used to getting quick responses, whether it's from DoorDash bringing them their food or from texting or whatever. I mean, we're just, we're used to that. And I, yeah, this, this is exactly why I enjoy this, or I was really looking forward to this conversation so we could commiserate as people don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't email us. No, I, I don't mean, I, I am, I'm like you, I'm so, grateful and and I appreciative that people care enough to want to message me and email me and all this but it's like I'm only one person you know it's like impossible to keep up with with everything and I genuinely feel bad about it but it's like you know like you said it's like well just going to do my best and I agree you have to my kind of motto is like something like do the best you can with what you got at the time you have it essentially, you know, it's like, what can I do and do your best. And then you kind of have to let yourself off the hook. And like, sometimes I just can't stay up till two o'clock in the morning answering every single message. You know, it's like, I just need to like shut it off. And then the next day starts and it's like, well, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you shouldn't have to, I mean, you've got so many other demands in your life like you said, prioritize things like you have kids, you know, that's like the most important thing in your life. I'm sure, you know, that's going to come above everything else. And then, you know, 
then everything else falls into place after that. And I think um, when I'm really feeling overwhelmed and I feel like I'm going to lose my shit, I'm just like, okay, well, at least, you know, like I have Matt and like I'm healthy and like I need to just like stay in a positive mindset. So like, what can I do for me right now? That's going to help that. Cause I think we burn out because we think of our ongoing list, but we never put anything for ourselves in that yeah. list. Yeah. It can be very hard to do, especially whenever it's like your business, you created it. Nobody asked you to do it. Nobody yeah. made you do it. It's like, so it's yeah. kind of your response, your job, you know, you yeah. put yourself in that position. And so it, it can be, it can be hard to be like, well, I also need to be here. You know, I need to not be burned out. I need to be mentally engaged and all those things, um, which I really, really relate to. So let's talk a little bit about bikes. This is Bikes for Death podcast. <laughs> uh, what what kind of, so you met Matt and he introduced you to cycling. Uh, what kind of, what kind of riding do you like to do? If you're going to pick, I don't know, what, what's your ideal kind of ride? Um, I think, so I'm, I don't, I'm not athletic, like, (laughs) at all. Like, I'm really, that is not like my wheelhouse. I know what my strengths are. My strengths are like making things with my hands or like, you know, being crafty, like, you know, anything visual, like making anything visually beautiful. That is like me for days. I got mm-hmm. that. Anything that involves any kind of athleticism, not me at all. And so technical skills on a bike, don't have that. I'm terrified of descending on gravel. Um, I need, I'm very fickle with the type of bikes that I ride because my technical skill is so bad. Uh, so I guess my favorite kinds of rides are like I love to climb, even though I'm super slow at it. And I, but I don't like, I like pavement because I don't have to worry about that technical skill really, but I don't like cars. So, um, yeah, that's a bitch. Yeah. So that's hard. I really do enjoy pavement, but the cars terrify me. Um, I also do enjoy gravel sometimes, as long as there's not really a steep descent. So (laughs) (laughs) I guess, I guess, I guess my ideal ride would actually be a nice, like long climb on gravel and then a quick descent on pavement. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. Uh, What about, what is, what is your favorite bike? So um, you can only pick one. And it's gonna, it's the only bike you're gonna have for the next 10 years. What bike do you pick? That is so hard. (laughs) Especially for you. (laughs) That is so hard for me. (laughs) Well, maybe what's your favorite? Because the truth is, you own a bike company. So this isn't even a realistic question, but do you have a favorite bike? You know what? The thing though about having a bike company is like most of the frames that we have, I can't even ride them because I'm 410. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the only production bikes that I fit <clears throat> are the step through like evasion and evasion light and a small scapegoat kind of I fit. Other than that, I, I cannot like stand over a lightning bolt, a bambora, none of that. Um, and it's 
way too expensive to like for the scale of our company to make anything smaller than what we have in production right now. Really? Yeah. Can you explain that? I, I'm super curious because I mean, the logical yeah. conclusion that I'm, I'm sure anyone would come to, it's like, okay, you're 410. So obviously you would want to accommodate other riders that were shorter, right? So yeah. Like, yeah. I'm sure you want to have uh, a, a, a wider range. <clears throat> I would love to have one of each for sure. Yeah. But just so just so that I can, cause also when we go to pop-ups or uh, trade shows, a lot of people will ask me how a bike feels. And I can't really speak to that because I can't ride a lot of the bikes. Um, and the reason we can't do that is like in product development, especially with small brands that do things in sizes, like this is also like with clothing and with bikes, I've noticed like the correlation. Um, when you start scaling things too small or too big, uh, the specs start getting like disproportionate and like skewed. So they don't actually like make sense for like a real person anymore. They're just kind of like really big triangle or really small triangle. And then the reach doesn't make sense anymore according to the standover. So, so it would require like a whole new sample, which would require whole new tooling, which is thousands and thousands of dollars. And our uh, customer base, even though we seem like we're pretty big, our customer base is still pretty small. So unless I can, I can be guaranteed that I'm going to sell like 50 of like a super extra small my size, which I don't think I can because we just That's don't have that reach. Yeah. yeah, we just, I just, I know that we don't have that reach yet. It would just, I would really just be like spending thousands and that like tens of thousands of dollars for a bike on me and maybe like two or three other people. Right. Because, you know. And so it's a significant price uh, increase to do that. Yeah, it's the tooling and the sampling and all of that. That's interesting. Well, I'm Um, sure people, that's one of those questions I'm sure like, you know, if I was, you know, too tall or too short to like, fit in most bikes, I'd be like, what the fuck, man? Like, why don't you make one for me? You know, but I mean, that there's so there's like a, a very large cost consideration that any company would have to consider if they wanted to do that. Yeah. And I think that's like bigger brands. Um, I've seen some bigger brands who, who have bikes that I can stand over and that's great. So like, I think the void is being filled, which is really cool to see. Cause I want to see other people like my size riding bikes and like, it would be cool to see like really, really tall people not have such a problem finding bikes too. It's hard um, for smaller companies to do those things for sure. You cannot, you, I don't know. I really want to stress this. You cannot compare like a small company like crust with like a QVP brand, you know, like, (laughs) you know, you, we cannot just give, we can't give you everything that they can give you. Unfortunately, not whenever you have like, investors that have given you tens of millions of dollars at your discretion to work with. Like (laughs) I've talked to some of these companies and I hear the budgets that they're working with and I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So even more props to y'all for, and, and, you know, like business advice circling back real quick, I'd be like, keep doing what you're doing. I'd be happy to have a, a business call with you separate to this, but obviously what, 
has really made y'all successful, I think, is is the authenticity of of you know just being yourselves and like not trying to be too big for your britches or or anything. Like it, it seems like you just follow your own conscience and like, okay, this is our company. This is what it's going to be. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's all we can really do too. It's like, I'm, I get so bored with what I'm seeing like out there from like other brands that are coming up into like this, especially like this gravel, I guess, scene. Um, and it, it just kind of all looks the same. And I feel like it's like, they're kind of all looking to each other or like some kind of formula where like, this is, gonna you know sell their product which is great because I think at the end maybe it does work out for them but that's so boring to me like I just wanted to I just want to have fun with it like if I can't have fun with it what's the point it's missing the heart and the soul because again like if you have investors that you have to answer to they're going to be looking at the bottom line and 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 that's all that really matters and whenever you whenever you start making products or services only for the money um and not necessarily for the customer or not to have fun and enjoy the product you're making you know i feel like you're losing some of the the soul of of what made that company probably cool in the beginning oh yeah yeah definitely so you're riding a 24 inch wheel I was so oh I'm happy you brought that up that's uh were you looking at my romance here I saw it somewhere I was just researching and I remember something it's was it the bikepacking.com or there there was a radivist article about my 24 inch romancer so that actually talking back on like production for small smaller bikes we we actually gave it a shot so the 24 inch romancer was meant for like people like my size like between like four nine four ten to like five one or something um and so we did like a run of 10 of those so we didn't make any money off of those it was just very experimental and mostly so i could get a romancer (laughs) frame because i really wanted one so but 24 inch definitely makes sense for people my size um and it definitely looks a lot more proportioned with the rest of the frame. I just think it looks so much better. Uh, but that's not what I'm currently riding. Um, a lot of those components I took off to put on my Evasion Light that I actually rode for Mid-South. Okay, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So we never actually did answer your go-to bike right now. Is that your go-to, the Evasion Light? <sighs> No. So the bike I ride the most is my dreamer that our friend Darren built in LA. Um, and it's a 26 inch. Um, I want to say it's like a 43 centimeter like seat tube, but that's just been like my most used bike. And that's what I'm using on, uh, my brevets, uh, because it's so, it's just set up to be like lighter and more racy. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that I'm racing, but just like <laughs> I need all the help. Emphasis I can get. on light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just need all the help I can get. Um, and my Evasion Light, I built up more to be like a rigid mountain bike, so that's going to be more for like just hitting gravel and just building my confidence on like gravel descents and stuff like that. That's what I built the Evasion Light for. So I'm with you. I was not super familiar with Paris breast Paris. Um, you know, I, I came into bike packing and uh, you know, my, 
my preferred discipline, I guess, if you want to call it that in cycling is bike packing, but I came into it through mountain biking and have never really done the, the touring that haven't done the, the road stuff quite as much. Um, and, and the, the whole, like, so it's the Paris, the PBP, uh, for short is a randoneering event. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I've been kind of like educating myself on what it is, the history. And I thought, you know, for other people that aren't familiar, um, you know, what do you know about Paris? Be Paris, what it, Paris, Brest, Paris, right? Yeah. It's a yeah. town in Paris. It's a, yeah, it's like a town in Paris. So they ride from Paris to Brest and then back to Paris. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it originally, like, I'm not sure of the year, a long, long 1861. time ago. Yeah, a long, long time it ago. Was, I, I looked it up. It was 1861. <laughs> oh, okay, 1861. And it started, so you saw that it started as a race, like people yeah. raced it. And eventually it became a timed a timed ride. So the idea behind randoneering that I think is really cool is that it's not a race. It's like... Uh, it's just like you finding riders and finding like, I guess the word camaraderie with each other and helping each other out and building relationships rather than competition, you know, like, I guess, I guess the word community over competition, which I think is pretty nice. Um, is is that a core tenant of randoneering in general? Uh, I think it is because everything that I've signed up for, they'll send me like an email with like this little like blurb that is like constantly repeated. And it's like randoneering camaraderie, you know, like, you know, so I think that's, that's the emphasis on it. And it's really cool because when you sign up for, you have to sign up for RUSA, which is randoneers USA and they give you a number. And so you're registered on like that database for the U.S. And then once you're given that number, you can go to whatever local club you want, give them that number, and then you can start doing your registered brevets. Um, and then they they kind of like track them for you. So when it's time to do PBP, uh, according to like what however many brevets you've done, uh, it kind of puts you on this list of uh, this the time that you get to leave, like start Paris Brest Paris, because Paris Brest Paris, like the actual event that's in August of next year, um, you leave at different times. So like you can either leave in the morning or the afternoon or at night. And so m- some time spots are more desirable than others. So the more desirable time spots will be taken by the people who have done the most brevets the year before. Wow. Yeah. yeah this is what it was really blowing my mind is um, how big of a deal this is and what's required to get in. And I... So I don't even know, like, are you officially in or are you on the process to trying to get uh, an entry into Paris PBP? So, so I'm starting this year, one, because I haven't ridden my bike in like over a year. So I need the training. Um, Two, the, the way the brevets are set up is like really intense and is kind of like a suffer fest because if you look at the brevets that are like 400 Ks, 
like that's 250 miles in 27 hours. So for someone like me who's super slow, that means like I might not sleep for 27 hours. Like I'm riding for 27 hours straight. Um, so that's the reason I'm doing these brevets now is to get my body used to that. But also, like I said, um, the amount of brevets I can finish this year will determine uh, what time I will leave for the actual ride in August of next year. But then also besides just doing PBP in August of 2023, to even get to, to do that ride, you have to do all the brevets in 2023 as well, leading up to that August ride. So not only am I going to do like all these brevets this year, next year I have to do a 200K, a 300K, a 400K, and a 600K. And then they say to do a thousand K just to get a feel of what the actual ride will be like. So, and you have to do that all before July. Wow. So I thought <laughs> like, so you have a guaranteed spot. I thought like part of this process was actually about getting you like a lottery into it or something, but it, no. is it not? Well, so again, like some of this, when you Google it, for me, it was really confusing. Yeah. Um, so again, like I turned turn to, I guess, who would be my mentor of all this info, who is JD Jesus. So he's really the one who's telling me what I should be doing. Um, so um, I will actually be able to qualify to do it PBP once I finish all those brevets next year, the ones that I just mentioned, the 200K, 300K, 400K, and 600K. Like once I finish those, then it will be like, okay, now I, I can definitely, I, gotcha. I can go. Yeah. So essentially what you're doing right now is, is training. You're doing brevets mm -hmm. to, to get ready for 2023. And that's when it's like game time starting in 2023, you've got yes. to knock out all those things to be able to earn a spot or yeah, like solidify your spot. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is totally new. I, I'm familiar with brevets and randoneering. Uh, I think it's a cool concept, uh, but uh, very unfamiliar with like all the particulars of it. So for other idiots like me, real simply, what is or uneducated people about this? But uh, what, yeah, what is a brevet? What is the format <laughs> of that? Honestly, I don't even know. <laughs> I like, well, I'm like the dummy too, because I honestly, I, I did not know what this was till November. And then I didn't really start doing any of the brevets till February, which is like, what, two months ago. So I never even bothered to look up what brevet means. I'm assuming it's French, but brevets are just like the, the rides, I guess. I just see them like when I register, they just say brevet. <laughs> well, I do. I know uh, a little bit because I Googled it, but a brevet is, you're right. It's a, it, I think brevet is for card. It's like, or a scorecard or something like that. Or uh -huh. so, because I think the whole, my understanding is the whole, like, I don't really understand. So there's like an overall time limit and then there's checkpoints along the way. So yeah. Is it is it like self-supported? You're you you know, like there's no SAG vehicle. It's just like where do you get your food? Just along route? Yeah. So okay. 
Well, I'm glad you looked up what Brevet is because I've just <laughs> been doing all this not knowing what Brevet is, which is very, this is actually very typical of me. I think no one would be surprised. Um, so the the way they used to be Brevets, you did have like a little card and you they would have like these control stations basically on your ride. So they could be like a gas station or um, a restaurant or like uh, like a park, you know, and you would have this card. And what you would do is like you would put like um, the time that you got into the gas station and you would have like a gas station attendant sign the card, which would be proof that you passed that checkpoint and that you actually did do the whole ride. But now, at least with the with the randonneering group that I've been riding with, um, they will just take like your Strava or ride with GPS because now okay. we have technology so yeah. <laughs> they can see that. They do suggest sometimes though, because those things can often fail, you know, like I've definitely had like my Wahoo not like sync up to my Strava or something. So they suggest like taking selfies at the control points or like a picture of your bike with the gas station. So, and it is completely unsupported. So um, the thing with like a lot of these rides is like, you're not going to be in the middle of nowhere. So you can often just get food wherever because you're literally on like the side of the road. (laughs) You're like in, you're in towns and stuff. So um, so like, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, that's it. You're in town. Okay. So you, you have, you're going to have like food accessible and water. You're not, accessible. you're just carrying till the next checkpoint. Essentially. You're not carrying. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's no, I know that, you know, you can kind of score the time, but my understanding is it's, it, and like you said, it's more of like a pass fail. So there's just like a, a window of time and there's checkpoints and, and that's it. Yeah. And you just go do it now. I, I noticed like you just posted on Instagram today, a recap of one I think you did in, in California. Mm-hmm. Um, so these like brevets that you're doing, are they all, all by yourself? Like, is it just a route that's up that you can kind of do, go do it any time? Or do you need to do it like with an official start group or what are... So, so for me to qualify to get like those times like that I was talking about the time slot, um, I have to do the registered brevets for the group. So they have like a ride calendar and those are all their registered rides. But then there's something separate that's called permanence and you can do those by yourself just like as practice, but those will not count to help you in choosing your time slot. Um, so a lot of these registered rides that I've been on, it's been like groups of like 20 people or more. Um, but because I am so slow, I usually just get dropped immediately. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I am riding by myself for like 13 and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to ride with you. I'd like to see who is slower because my one of my taglines is pro. <laughs> my, actually, my uh, my van, the the vanity place says pro slow. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm repping that lifestyle. I think like you'd be surprised at how slow I am because yeah, like yeah. even Matt says like because we have so many friends who are like, don't worry, like I'm slow too. And we're like, no, like you do not like Matt's like 
she is the slowest person I have ever <laughs> met in my life. Cause I'm just slow at everything that I do. Like yeah. I'm slow getting out of the car. I'm slow getting out of bed. I'm slow at running. I'm slow, like at writing an email. Yeah. Like I'm just an overall, like take my time kind of person. Yeah, I agree. I'm a slow, like, yeah, I walk slow. I talk <laughs> slow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't do anything fast. I'm not, I'm not, I drive slow. Like I'm just, I'm not <laughs> in a hurry. Yeah, I'm so slow. <laughs> yeah, it, it extends to much more than just for, but I mean, also it's like part of it is like, like you, I mean, I, I tried to like be fast, but I didn't get the enjoyment out of it. And I'm not that fast in general. Like I, my default setting I think is slow, um, <laughs> but I, I just get more enjoyment out of, out of it, uh, yeah. just slowing down and enjoying my time. And that's what I'm there to do. And so, yeah, it's my speed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I like it too. I mean, before I started doing these rides, these brevets, I was, um, it's definitely a lot slower, but because of these time constraints, I've had to like pick it up. Uh, I'm still slow, super slow, but it's forced me to pick, pick it up for sure. Yeah. So how are, I mean, you are into your quote unquote training. I mean, not quote unquote, this is training. This is real. This mm -hmm. is happening. <laughs> um, I know like, so on Instagram, you did, you said you've completed a 200 K and then you did the 100 miles of Mid-South, which was fucking sick. Very cold. It looked absolutely miserably cold. <laughs> God. It was. But props to you for finishing. Thank and then you. you said, next weekend, I'm attempting 250 miles in 27 hours. So did did that attempt happen? How did it go? Ooh, I, I'm going to love talking about this. Okay, so, great. So <clears throat> after Mid-South, a group of us went to Bentonville. Um, I've been to Bentonville a couple of times and the riding there is so sick. And so Matt rides, he loves riding mountain bikes. Um, and so we were all there and he actually got into an accident and he ended up uh, tearing the ligament between his shoulder and his collarbone and tearing all the muscles in his chest. He thought he broke his neck actually when he like, because he was concussed for a little while. So, and that was like one day into being in, in Bentonville. And my original plan was to, after Bentonville, go back to California and do that brevet, you know, because I, I had felt strong. I had been riding. I just did Mid-South and I had chosen, that brevet was relatively flat. So I was like, I got this. I can do this, you know, like it's going to be close, but I can do it. But then Mac got injured and I ended up, having to drive with him all the way back to Virginia and, you know, taking care of my husband, you know, yeah. I, he's, he's like my <laughs> That's priority. one of those whack-a-moles that you need <laughs> yeah. to <laughs> yeah. so, pay attention to. So that really, um, that really kind of like put a damper on my training, I would say like, because then when we got back to Virginia, we also got sick with like, like a, a pretty bad cold. And like, I was trying to ride in Virginia with that cold. And it was like, I was struggling to even get like 40 miles out. And it was like really pissing me off, you know? And I was just getting like sicker because I was being stubborn about riding. And yeah. And then Matt was still not in a good condition and I had to stay in Virginia longer. So the, the 300 K and the 400 K that I had planned to do, I just, I was in Virginia. I didn't end up making them. Yeah. 
How's Matt doing? He's a lot better. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, he's doing <laughs> a lot better. But it's it's really scary, um, you know, riding mountain bikes. Like you said, you come from mountain bikes. And even just like, even this randonneur stuff where I'm like riding you know, at night next to cars going 50 miles per hour, this stuff is kind of like dangerous. And it's, and it's really scary and sad to see your partner hurt. And then you have to step up, you know, you have to put everything that you have planned and be there, you know? So, um, yeah, well, good for you. That's, that's, yeah, yeah that's a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, like, good, a good one. Yeah. <laughs> well, Matt, that sucks for you, but I do have to go ride my bike now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's good now though. But so that's why I felt comfortable leaving and um, doing this. And then we're going to be back together in Florida. Uh, so yeah. So it's just awesome. Like, uh, just a week and we'll be back together. Wonderful. So where are you at now with your training? Uh, you got back to California and you did, a, I think it was like a 130 mile one. It was, it was supposed to be another 200 K, which was a hundred, 200 K is like 124 miles. Okay. Um, and I've done a 200 K already that had like 6,000 feet of climbing. And that was like really like an off the couch ride. Like I hadn't ridden a really long time and I did it just like barely in the time. And I was really proud of myself. But then again, like I said, like I had gotten sick and then I came back to California and I was feeling pretty weak, but I just went for another 200 K that had um, over 8,000 feet of climbing. Cause we went, you went up a mountain basically on this brevet, which I had never done before. And um, I didn't make it. I didn't like when I got to the top of the mountain, it took me forever to get there and I wasn't going to make the time limit. So I only ended up doing 104 miles with like 7,500 feet of climbing. That's still yeah. a really big ride. A really big ride. <laughs> it's honestly, it's my biggest ride yet. And it was, I had such a good time. Like I'm not even going to be hard on myself about it. Cause I knew that I had like kind of stepped back in the progress that I had been making physically mm -hmm because of everything that had happened, Matt getting hurt, me getting sick, like all these things. Um, so I, I'm really happy with like how I did. And I'm really happy that I'm not hard on myself right now for not finishing it. Cause usually like with that first 200 K that I did and mid South, the only things that kept me going was like, I'm really stubborn. So I think that's good. I think it's also good to acknowledge like a hundred mile ride off the couch with you know, 7,500 feet of climbing is like no joke. And again, it's like everybody almost always posts like, yeah, well, I did this, but it's, it's good to like show the process and be okay. I mean, you are training, you, yeah. you know, you are getting ready. So like, this isn't, you know, it's like, okay. It's like, okay, I got a little work to do on that one, but it doesn't have to be a negative. Oh yeah, and definitely. It's one of my favorite quotes that Mike, I don't know if you're familiar with Mike Hall, but he was a famous like bike packer and uh, he passed away. But one of his, my favorite quotes from him is that, you know, no endeavor is ever a failure if you choose to learn from it. And, you know, and that, and that's, you know, kind of the journey of life really. But I mean, you know, while you're on this journey of training, I mean, you'll probably have setbacks, but you're kind of learning yourself. You're learning your limits, what you can do and, and you're pushing that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's important to not let failure take you down, 
you know, yeah, you have failure. to keep, yeah, you have to keep going. Well, it doesn't matter. You know? Failure's a part of life. That's, I mean, yeah. so I can't say, you know, but it's like, you can't let it, you're right. You can't let it bring you down, man. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. And I think it's good to have failure in your life so that you get used to it. Cause that, like you said, it is life. So, oh man, I, people <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I've had so much failure. Like it's just become like, a, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I got this. I'm good at failing. Let's try yeah. some other things now. <laughs> so tell me the type of person you are. You've set a, a, a lofty goal. I mean, PBP is a, is a big goal. Everything that's going to require to, to make it actually happen. As Matt said, you got to do the stuff. You gotta, are you the kind of person like, Will you like fucking do it? Like, is there nothing that will stop you? I mean, other than like you get hurt or something like that. But I mean, like does stuff like that light a fire under you? Yeah, I'm really, I'm stubborn. Like I'm super stubborn. I think, I think if you were to ask Matt, like something about me like that, like he's like, always tells me you're the most stubborn person I've ever met in my life. And I think that's what keeps me going. Like doing those things. Cause I think a lot of people, I mean, I have a lot of support, which is awesome, but I think maybe it's just like in my own head, I'm telling my, like, there's this part of me that's saying you can't do it. And I'm trying to shut that part up and saying like, fuck you, I can do it. And so it's kind of just like me fighting myself and any like weirdo feelings I have that some other people might be saying she can't do it, but. So it's just all, I'm just a stubborn person. I agree. I internalize those things, whether they're real people or whether they're imagined. It's like, yeah, yeah. fuck you. <laughs> fuck the person in my head. Fuck the person who thinks I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. There's a simple quote I like. It came from a book I read called, How Bad Do You Want It? And that that's the question. But the whole book is answering that question, like, how bad do you want it? And he uses some really good explanations and um, like, uh, not Lance Armstrong, Oh, fuck. My brain. But this other famous cyclist, uh, how he got like shot with a, a, a shotgun uh, by his like cousin and then like came back to win uh, this time trial at the Tour de France. It's like this famous story. I can't remember the goddamn name of the guy right oh now. Oh, my but, God. But, it, you know, there's there there's all he gives all these uh, examples of like how bad you want it. And and it really does come down to that because as humans, we're very capable Mm -hmm. Um, but the question you have to ask yourself and the question you have to answer is how bad do I want it? Do I want it bad enough to sacrifice, to suffer, to be in pain, to cry, to do all those things? And, and if you're willing to do it, if you want it bad enough, you will, you know? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to read that because that sounds, yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> he was, I had uh, Matt Fitzgerald on the podcast. I think it was episode number 97. Mm -hmm. Um, if you wanted like a entryway into it but i recommend his like honestly his audiobook if you pick that up while you're writing that's yes, great motivation I love yeah. audiobook hell yeah thank you so much yeah that would be so good on like the fucking 40 hours i'm gonna have to be on a bike <laughs> exactly oh, i'm all a podcast audiobooks i'm all about yeah. them but that's a good one because he gives a lot of like there, there's like science or neuroscience or whatever, but I mean, he's using examples of Olympians and all these like just tons of examples of real life athletes and showing examples of people who just really wanted it and they did what it took to make it happen. It's very inspiring. Wow. Yeah. yeah. 
That is so well, cool. Yeah, because I I'm like before I was on the phone with my friend Ryan, who's actually doing PVP as well. He's way stronger than I am, but we've just been talking about our rides and. You know, he did a pretty brutal ride the other day. And it's like, why do we enjoy like suffering? Like I suffer on these rides so much. Like I cry, like I like curse at myself. I curse at the world. But then at the end of the ride, I'm like, yeah, that was pretty sick. <laughs> you know, like why? <laughs> do you do you have a, a, a clue or do you have a, a sense of, of what the answer to that might be? No, I have no idea why we I have enjoy a, I have suffering. A, I have a theory. Okay. After talking please. to a lot of people that, that do this kind of stuff, I think the human body is used to and conditioning to condition to hard efforts. I don't think we give our bodies the opportunity to push itself and to, you know, do hard things. You know, life is so easy. So I think that like we are designed to move. I think we're designed to use our bodies. And um, I think that it also, um, when you're doing that, I think a lot of the other, the world like shuts off and you're able to like maybe relax a little bit more and have a little bit more peace. So while it is hard, there's like a peace there, you know, that isn't always available. Hi. Yes, you are so right. Yeah, I especially that peace part, because when I think about when I have to do a big ride, all I have to do is pedal and keep going. Whereas like when I have to work, it's like I'm juggling so many different things and it seems so difficult and like overwhelming. But with having just that one task that lasts all day, it's just one simple thing. Yeah. Just keep going. Just keep going. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, watching your journey as you continue to train. I'm really <laughs> excited for you. And oh, uh, it makes me want to, I've, I've always kind of been inter interested in randoneering. Uh, I like the concept of it, especially like the community. I'm not very racy, but I, you know, I love the bike community and just getting together, riding bikes. Uh, it sounds like a good time. Um, can we talk a little bit more about Crest Bikes? Do you got a little bit more time? Oh, yeah. I have as much time as you need. Okay. I'm chatty. I'm chatty. <laughs> yeah, so I love this. I love talking. I just okay, need a great. bottle of wine. I wish I had a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> you need to go get one. We can put spas. <laughs> uh, so... I, d I recently bought a uh, Crest Evasion. Uh, Y'all... You, thank uh, you. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I got it used, but you're welcome. Yeah, thank um, you so much. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited. I, um, I had a, a bike that was supposed to be coming, but manufacturing XYZ, it didn't happen. And then, do you know Fixie Dave or Dave Nice? No, uh, I don't know. Okay. Who that is. He, uh, he, he's famous for riding the Tour Divide on a fixed gear mountain bike. Um, Whoa, but, that's sick. Yeah. <laughs> So he's, oh he's been God. on the podcast too, but, uh, he, I had this like frame fall through and then he posted on Instagram that day, like a flawless crust evasion. And I am, I was like mine and, uh, it was a good price and you know how hard it is to find bikes and stuff right now. Oh, and so yeah. like, I, uh, I want people to know that this episode is not sponsored in any way. <laughs> It actually is just, it is a complete coincidence that I happen to buy a crust, um, just being a fan of, of y'all's 
kind of brand, you know, the whole, the whole brand. And, and I like, I like the uniqueness of the bikes and like you say, they're not boring and, but until you ride one, you just don't know. Um, but I was definitely, uh, bike curious and, uh, I, it, it's, I'm, uh, it's really good. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank very you. happy. Very happy Aww, customer. Thanks so much. Yeah. It's, uh, it's right there. Hey, oh, you're, <laughs> it's a damn good looking bike too. It's like, it I, um, oh, it's so fucking good looking. I've never been like this with bikes where, um, I'm like kind of scared to get them dirty, but I kitted this one Aww. out with like industry nine and, and white industries and all the nice bits, which um, yeah, it's, it's a definitely nice the build. nicest bike I've ever, I've ever owned. And it's like so pretty, but beyond that, I love the aesthetics of it, but it also rides, uh, it's just fucking awesome. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's really, really good. Now here's my question for you after sucking up to you a little bit. Uh, it's funny because the other build I was going to do was a 29er. I'm six foot two. Almost everything I have is a 29er. The evasion is set up and designed around probably like a 26 or a 27.5 wheel. And whenever I was like, I even asked on Instagram, I couldn't find anybody that had built one up as a 29er. I'm sure they're out there, but I hadn't found any. Have oh. I com have I uh, committed an evasion sin by... Because I have it set up as a, a 700 by 48C. That's what it's set up as right now. Honestly, I I don't know. Because I've only ever heard, and like on our website too, it's like suggested as like 26 and 27.5. So I don't, you know what? Matt would probably be the one to talk to this about because I don't look at bikes like that, you know, like, I'm, it's your bike. Do whatever you want with it. You know? Oh like, yeah. No, yeah. I love it. I don't really yeah. care, but, uh, I didn't know if I was creating some kind of atrocity where all like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you put a 29 er on that frame. <laughs> no, I, actually when Matt saw that photo of your build, he was like, Whoa, that looks sick. He's like, you better repost that. I was like, I am going to. <laughs> Ooh, well, th man, thank you so much. I appreciate that. My, uh, besides geeking out on bikes, I, I've become like obsessed with photography. And so, uh, whenever y'all reshared it, I was like, yes, I, the <laughs> was photo awesome. was beautiful. You're great at photography. I'm, Thank like, you. So good. Thank that's like you. my, uh, I hate, I hate taking photos so much. <laughs> well, that's part of it. It's like, if you don't enjoy it, yeah. then, you know, don't do it. But I, to me, it's part of the process I enjoy of like, I don't know. It's like both storytelling and it's also a good excuse to go ride your bike and like something to do besides just ride your bike. It's like looking for a cool composition or, you know, something like that. It just adds a little something to it for me, but other people, it, it takes away from the experience. So yeah. you know, to each their own. Yeah. All right. I appreciate it though. I appreciate good photography, especially of oh, bikes. Yeah. 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 It's a fun, it's a fun craft. So here's a question that I was asked on Instagram and I don't know the answer to it. Hopefully you do. <laughs> on the, <laughs> we'll page Matt in. Yeah. Uh, no, on the on the fork crown, there's a bolt on the very top of the crown. Do you know what that's for? Fuck. Let me ask Matt right now. Okay. Is that okay this if I fun. if I call? Him? Oh hell yeah, yeah. Okay. Call him. Yeah, because I don't know like these things. I'm honestly the only thing that I contribute in the part of the manufacturing or whatever is the colors 
And then I just organize all the charts of like what's coming in, you know, but everything design is Matt. And then also he, you know, like he designed the wombat with Garrett, you know, the romancer with Benedict, like, so he, he's like really the brains of the designs. Let me know when y'all ready for the bikes or death collab. (laughs) Okay. Let's uh, FaceTime them. Hey, boo. I'm on the podcast right now with Patrick. Holla. Hey, buddy. Oh, you, you can't, I, can you hear him? Or no, because I have my headphones in. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Patrick wants to know on the fourth crown of the evasion, there's like a little bolt at the top. What is that for? On both sides of the four yes. crown? Yes. 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 Some, some racks bolt on like up there. He said some racks bolt on okay, up yeah. there. Okay. You have any Perfect. other questions while he's here? That was my only technical question, I think. Other than, oh, yeah, you can ask him if I've ruined my evasion by putting it a 29er. <laughs> yeah. He wants to know, because remember we reposted that photo of his evasion, and he yeah. wants to know if he, he did wrong by putting in a 29er in there. 29 is high Yeah. No, no, there's no such thing as wrong. He said, there's no such thing as wrong. Yeah, I can hear him. (laughs) Like is good. That's what I, that's basically what I said. Good. Wow, we're we're so insane. Go team. (laughs) Y'all are so in love. This is a company founded on love. (laughs) All right, boo, gotta go now. Love you. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Kisses. What'd you say? I said, tell him his bike looked great. Yeah, he I said your him. bike looked great. Yeah, he said thank you. No, he can hear me. You just, he, I just can't hear him. I see what's going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, all right, bye. Okay, bye. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's so cool. I'm glad you called him. Uh, you know, in my defense, I think the cool thing to do with that bike, though is get another wheel set, probably a 27.5 with something a little fatter so that mm-hmm. I can swap it out. And then you have, you know, two bikes, which is something that's pretty neat. I think that's pro- probably what his idea was, the versatility in that. Yeah, I love versatility. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have a, a steel bike, you know, the we, we talk about lifetime bikes and you're talking about this yes. like generational bikes. It's like, having versatility in a bike that you own, especially, you know, bikes are kind of pricey and I've, I spent a lot of money on that bike and I don't have a lot of money. So it's like, I I need that bike to, to do more than one thing if possible and be versatile. And I think that's what I like about a lot of our bikes too, is that they are really versatile and depending, especially like depending on like the technical skill of the rider. Um, I feel like a lot of our bikes could be just like, that one bike that can do everything for you. All right. Here's an easy one. I think where did the name crust come from? That is an easy one for sure. Um, So Matt is Australian and Matt has a background in plumbing. So he's, you know, like worked on job sites and uh, like blue collar, I guess that's what it's called. Um, But in Australia, they have a saying like, uh, crust is like how you make money. So like, what, like, what do you do to make your crust mate? Like, oh, so okay. how do you make your money mate or whatever they say? <laughs> <laughs> it feels so weird saying, yeah, like, uh, mate, whatever. Yeah. So crust is like, 
yeah, because crust is how we make our money. So crust. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, it costs us crust and it gives you crust. Yes, so it's all about exactly. the crust. <laughs> it's all about the crust. <laughs> I was I thought maybe it had something to do with bread crust or so I don't know. I was <laughs> <laughs> The nice thing about having crust as a name is we get we get to do a lot of nice photo shoots in front of like pizza shops or <laughs> with yeah. the name crust on it. <laughs> all right. Okay, what is your best selling bike? The Bombora. Oh, really? So what is the Bombora? My friend uh, Maxwell Johnston has one of those. He has a couple of your bikes, actually. Um, oh, nice. Very beautiful. His is like a, a pinkish purplish color. Yeah, like a, la- like a lavender, a light lavender. lavender. Yeah, okay. that's the only colorway they come in. It's... um. I would say it's kind of like a more versatile, one of the most versatile frames that we have. And it's, um, I guess, similar, like kind of like a play off the evasion, but it has like lighter tubing. Um, But I think the popularity in the Bombora has a lot to do with, um, I think people really are attracted to that color. And we had a team a couple of years ago that Benedict Ultra Romance had gathered and made with Brooks. Uh, so that team, maybe you've seen it. They did what was originally DK, that race in Kansas. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was like Anton. When uh, they were all wearing the white jumpsuits. It, they were wearing, I think, um, like a printed topo top or something with like oh, the ultra yeah. romance black bibs. And they all had bomboras with like Paul components and the Brooks saddles. And so I think like people saw that and they were like, whoa, that looks cool. And then Russ from Pathless Pedaled did a review on the bombora and he loved it that he has his own personal one. And I think those two things really kind of I don't know. People just really like fell in love with the Bombora. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's fun to say it's a good looking bike yeah. and it's versatile. So yeah. why not? <laughs> so like we kind of touched on this or we've touched on this many times about y'all being authentic to yourselves. I'm, I'm curious, like as y'all have grown as a company, have there been temptations or opportunities that have been like, Ooh, that would be nice or uh no i don't think so like you mean like <laughs> you think like invest investors or anything yeah Definitely. i don't i don't know i mean y'all uh, y'all have you know grown i don't i don't know exactly how successful but it appears to be an ex- a, a somewhat successful business uh with with you know limited people and especially just like you and matt starting out in the beginning and you're like we don't know what we're doing. We're just having fun and building bikes. But, you know, as, as businesses go on, has there been like, maybe it's like, has there been pressure to conform or pressure to like run your business differently? Or has it just been easy to maintain your own like space and just like do your own thing? I feel like, yeah, there's all, I always feel like pressure. Um, when I, but only when I look at other bike brands, And I try really hard not to do that. And I have the luxury of not doing that because I'm not the one designing the frames. Um, And it, and it feels hard too, because I think like I talked about earlier, there are a lot of up and coming like gravel bike brands or, you know, bike brands that 
are coming out with similar frames as ours. And, but they're following like a more generic blueprint of what like a company looks like visually, like an aesthetic and how they're going about things. And I know that we have like a great customer base, but I think the generic blueprint hits more people, you know, and, you know, more people might be attracted to that because, you know, they're like the average person and maybe the average person isn't attracted to crust. So sometimes I feel like, oh, should we kind of like dumb ourselves down to maybe, you know, reach a different demographic? But I don't want to do that. <laughs> so then, you know, I, I kind of like put myself back in into what I really want to do and how I really see crust. Um, so yeah, there feels like there is some pressure to maybe conform a little bit, but I, I try really hard not to think about it. That pressure mostly is just coming from cycling trends and industry trends in general. Yeah. And then just trying to, it sounds like, yeah, just trying to stay true to who you are. It's like, okay, that's what everybody's doing, but what are we doing? Right. And I think, I think it's more exciting to be on the forefront of something different, even though it's riskier and scary and like, you know, it could potentially like be detrimental to the business. But I think I'd prefer that than just following what everybody else is doing. So can you speak to what some goals may be or what what the future of Crust might look like? you know, I mean, are y'all looking to grow? I know you talked about like, we want to just kind of maintain it. Is that, is that the plan for a while? Like, what are y'all, what are y'all currently working on? Yeah, I think um, Matt is always thinking of, you know, new frame ideas uh, because he's very much about the idea that um, we believe in niches, you know, like, let's say like there's an idea you have for a frame that you would like is your dream frame. I'm sure there are like a hundred other people who have the same dream frame, you know? So mm-hmm. that's why um, the the gears are always turning in Matt's head for something new to do because the fear of things not selling isn't so much of a big fear anymore because we've done that before, you know? We've t- turned out things that people were maybe scared to put into production, but we've done it and we've sold it, you know? People, people want to try different things. So the future of crust, I think is just Matt is going to keep on designing things he wants to keep designing and like, you know, look, look to his friends for ideas, like, or friends approach us sometimes. Like, have you ever thought about doing this? Cause I really would love to see something like this done, you know, or I would love to see a handlebar like this, or, you know, we, we, we listen to, you know, our, our, the people around us. And I think that's really helpful too. So before a bike gets made, like, let's say you're going to come out with a new frame. Do you, do you get like a prototype built and then like, kind of like have your friends play around with it too and get feedback? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Especially when it's like those collaborative frames, like the Wombat or the Romancer, um, or the Malocchio that's coming out, um, yeah, we get our prototypes and prototypes are also important because 
Matt has to build them up and test them himself. And then he'll see like, oh, like maybe I want the rake of the fork to be a little bit different. Maybe I need brazons here. Like maybe like the stack height needs to be a little bit different. This like maybe the decals are completely wrong. The color's wrong, you know, because it's so different to see something on a CAD file than to see it actually like right in front of you and how it rides. So proto is definitely super important. And we do definitely like build those up and give them to like certain friends. And of course, Matt himself rides them. Um, So, and once that happens, like now the lead times for production and sampling in Taiwan are absolutely insane. They used to be like, they used to be, you could have like an idea from paper And then into production time could be like maybe like a year, maybe like a year and two months. Now it's like the Malocchio was designed in 2019 and we're going to get them now. Like, yeah, at the end of this year. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. You're like, I've got this cutting edge idea for a frame. It's revolutionary. (laughs) Two years later. Here you go. That's why it's so funny when things get like so... um, caddy in like the bike industry like there's so much like bullshit that happens on behind closed doors with like all these little businesses and stuff but the thing is it's like things will sometimes come out at the same time like you both had the same idea or similar ideas and they were just happening at the same time it just happened to be that one factory finished slightly before you did or something you know yeah so and sometimes that's scary because if you feel like you're on the forefront of something new, you want to get it out there as fast as possible. But that's all very dependent on the factory. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. You're like, you can have the idea and get it all done. And then you just got to sit and wait and hope it's still mm-hmm. relevant when exactly. it comes out. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, yeah. we ordered a bunch of these. Hopefully people still like them in two and, years. Yeah, and that's so <laughs> scary because we're talking about like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth. Oh, of my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cheech, I should go be a dad. Yeah. What are you going to yeah. do today? Um, I'm actually going to go ride. Today's awesome. my ride day. I'm going to awesome. go ride, enjoy the weather. Yeah. Enjoy it. Well, I very much enjoyed talking to you. Um, I, I'm enjoying y'all's bike and I appreciate what y'all are doing as a company. Um, I agree. Let's keep things fun in the bike industry. Let's have some niche options. And uh, I, I don't think everything has to be so delineated down to like everybody's wearing the exact same thing and riding the same bike and all this stuff. It's like variety is a spice of life. So thank you all so much for adding your spice to the bike industry. Thank you. And thank you again for asking me to be on this and talk with you. It's been really, really nice. Oh, I enjoyed it. We'll have to get Matt on too one day. Uh, Yeah. I think you'd really enjoy talking to him. He is he is um, a weirdo and I love everything about it. <laughs> I love I love weirdos and I love talking to people. So I definitely talk to him. All, All right, right well, have fun being a dad. I have will. a great day. Enjoy your ride. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Okay, okay. That is all for today. Uh, you may have remembered that last week I said that this week's episode was going to be uh, East Texas Showdown Ryder Collins, uh, but we had a little bit of a glitch with the Collins. 
I think the problems are numerous. <laughs> Some of them, I think, were lack of instruction for me or, or poor instruction for me. And uh, we didn't get a lot of call-ins. I, I, you know, I was kind of monitor, monitoring it a little bit throughout the race, um, and it seemed like we got a lot. But once ever, whenever I got it into the editing bay, we only had like 30 minutes of content and I don't know, it's kind of all over the place to be honest. And it, it didn't really work for an episode. Let's just say that. So I'm still going to put that together and release it, but we're probably just going to put it out on the Bikes for Death website, on the East Texas Showdown uh, website, and uh, make that available to anybody who wants to listen to it. Uh, we'll make an announcement on social media and probably through newsletter, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're looking forward to that, still going to be available, but it just didn't work as an episode. Um, although... I will say that I want to try again uh, next time to do that. I love the idea of it. I just need to make it better. That's it. Just better. So uh, I'll have a year to improve between now and then. Um, yeah. So something to look forward to next year. You know, I think that is it for today's episode. Um, we did just get in some new Bikes for Death patches and stickers in the web store. So if you've seen that new logo and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. I want to put it on everything. Huh, you're in luck because we have them in stock and you can buy them like right now. And remember, in the United States of America, you pay no shipping. It's free. We'll pay it for you. You just put in your cart, hit send with that credit card information and let us do the rest. What else? The next thing on our agenda, and I'll put this out there, is the Texas Kid Packing Jamboree. We just wrapped up the East Texas Showdown, and so we are quickly switching gears to this Kid Packing Jamboree. You heard me mention it, mention it in today's episode. Well, I just published the registration for that on Bike Reg like earlier today. So um, if you're interested in checking that out, you can go to bikereg.com and uh, just search Kid Packing Jamboree. It should be the only one that pops up. And uh, there's a lot going on in that event. Very excited about it. Um, there's going to be an educational component of it to educate families on how to actually take their kids bikepacking or kid packing. Also, Emily, who works with us at Bikes for Death, has a degree in outdoor education and specializes in developing outdoor programs uh, specifically for kids. Um, so she's going to be there and we're going to have outdoor educational opportunities. We're going to do like a bird hike. Uh, we're going to tie-dye some shirts. And of course, we're going to roast hot dogs and eat s'mores and the whole shebang. Now, one of the coolest things is that this event is free to you. Um, the only thing you have to cover is the cost of the campsite, uh, but everything else is being provided by, well, me so far and whatever sponsors we can get to help us support this event. So to be honest, we are a little bit behind the eight ball on this this one, and we are going to be putting out more and more information, but it's going to trickle in for now. Uh, the registration is up. There's a lot of details there about our um, itinerary and all sorts of information. So that is the best place to go right now. If you want to register, go ahead and do that. We only have 45 five spots and that's 45 for adults and kids. 
The other thing I should mention is that this is going to be supported. So if you are not quite to the level where you can take all your kids and all your gear and get it all to camp, that is okay. We're going to have a SAG vehicle that can either transport gear or if you know we have a mechanical or somebody can't make it, then we're going to pick you up. So this is a very beginner-friendly, family-friendly, entry-level uh, event. Our mission with this event is to create outdoor recreational and learning opportunities for families through bikepacking. So a very heavy emphasis on learning opportunities, um, whether that means learning how to go bikepacking with your kids or, you know, learning about nature, learning about animals, plants, wildlife, all that fun stuff. So this is a new program that we're rolling out and we intend to keep this going. Um, and we're really, really excited about it. Very excited indeed. I think uh, there aren't a lot of, uh, I haven't seen anyone honestly do this. Um, I'm sure somebody has, but but yeah, I, I think that this is something that needs to be done. And it's very difficult as families to do this. Uh, financially, having all the gear, the time, the ability. There's a lot of factors that go into this. So we're really going to try to help make bikepacking accessible for kids and parents alike and really excited about it. So that's all I can say about that. Head over to bikereg.com. You can contact us if you have any questions and we're more than happy to answer those. But like I said, we are going to have more details rolling out on that in the near future. All right, that's it for today. Until next week, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. Now go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. Faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless, your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes for death. Bikes. Oh, death. Oh, yes. <laughs>